Amen. Thank you for a warm welcome today. What a joy it has been to spend uh, the morning uh, with your pastor and much of your uh, team. Thank you, Parker and the choir, uh, the accompanists, musicians, uh, grateful for the way you've led us. I came in just a couple minutes late as we were coming back from Green Street, but you were already going strong, and it blessed me as we come back from Park Place. Uh, it blessed me to uh, walk in the sanctuary and hear God's people worshiping Him and rejoicing in His goodness and what uh, a blessing it is for me uh, to be able to be with you. I've been looking forward this day. You said, Pastor Brown, you've been looking forward to me being here. I've been looking forward to being here myself because I have long known the reputation of this church. What an incredibly supportive church. What a great partnering church with the International Mission Board today and over the years. And I want to, on behalf of your 3,550 IMB missionaries and their 2,850 kids uh, who are serving with them around the world, a lot of our missionaries go out as families. I want to say thank you. Thank you for your prayers for them. That is the greatest gift you could give them. It sustains them in their work. It taps them into the power of the Holy Spirit, who alone can save. Uh, but they're out as his instruments to see a lost world saved. Uh, your prayers are making a difference. Thank you for your generous support, one of the most generous churches in this state. Uh, to support the work of the IMB. We're grateful for you. I know many of you have gone on mission trips and served alongside of our missionaries in various parts of the world. Thank you for that. That's such an encouragement to them, boosts them with energy, and, and uh, uh, it blesses them. But I also know that this has been ascending church, as your pastor referenced. You have several members who have gone out uh, through the IMB and some who are out today serving among the nations. And uh, I praise God for your willingness to entrust uh, your sons and daughters uh, with, uh, entrust the IMB with your sons and daughters as you send them through the IMB to the nations. God is using them. God is using you. God is using us in what we're doing together. More than a half a million people heard the gospel last year through your IMB missionaries and their Baptist partners overseas. Uh, we saw 176,000 profess faith in Christ last year, and 107,000 of those follow through with believers' baptism. So, it's making a tremendous impact. And I know, uh, particularly seeing as we did this morning, what's happening at Park Place, and knowing that plans are being put together. This is a church that believes in seeing uh, new churches started, or those that, that are struggling rebirth. Uh, and I would just want to encourage you today by letting you know how you're doing that all around the world. Last year, through the IMB, you planted 22,000 new churches all around the world. Those churches are making an eternal impact, and we praise God for it. I've, I've been blessed uh, to be able to be here and see the impact that you're making uh, I, I, I knew your pastor by reputation, but getting to spend uh, the morning with him has blessed me. Now, for about 12 years now, going back to my work with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, uh, I've spent about every Sunday preaching in a different Baptist church, uh, somewhere across Kentucky or now with the IMB, somewhere across the United States. When I'm not overseas, I'm usually preaching somewhere different every Sunday in the U.S. It doesn't take me very long having met thousands of Baptist pastors to size one up. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, I figured out right away, visiting with your pastor early this morning, 
that this is a man who loves the Lord. He loves this church, and he loves the lost. And that's why I'm thankful. I celebrate that he's here. And not only is it your privilege to have him as pastor, I've seen enough here to know it's his privilege to be your pastor. Uh, so that is great. It is an encouragement to me. Not, not, not everywhere I go am I able to say those things, I'm afraid, uh, that I'd have to confess today. But I can say them here uh, and, uh, and just want to affirm you in that way. Two questions that are going to guide our time in the Word this morning. And the first question is this, why are you here? Why are you here? Uh, you probably had other things you could have done today. We all do. But you chose to get up and come to church. Why are you here? Why is this church here? What's God doing? Why is Green Street here? Another question. Do you believe heaven will be better than earth? I believe heaven's going to be better than earth. In fact, I'm sure of it. It's going to be a lot better. There's some things missing in heaven. <laughs> Do you know there's no cancer in heaven? There's no COVID in heaven. Do you know there are no presidential election years in heaven? Isn't that good news? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, did you know that there is no addiction in heaven? There's never been a single overdose death in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no divorce in heaven. There's never been a death of any kind in heaven. It's heaven. Which brings me back to my first question. Lord, why are we here? <laughs> I mean, if heaven is all that the Bible says it's going to be, and surely it is, why don't you just save us and take us to heaven? Well, I want to answer that question today. And I'm not going to make you wait until the end of the sermon to give you the answer. <laughs> let me tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me tell you why I believe you're still here, why God didn't save you and take you straight to heaven. Let me tell you why Green Street Baptist Church is still here. We're here because heaven is not yet what heaven's going to be. And God has left you here as a follower of Jesus with an opportunity to be a part of making heaven what heaven will someday be. And God has left this church here with a mission to make heaven what heaven will someday be. We see a picture of what heaven will someday be in the Bible. I'm going to turn your attention this morning to Revelation chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you'll recall that is authored by a man who is named John. He was a follower of Jesus. John was one who preached the gospel of Jesus. John was persecuted for preaching the gospel. John was in prison for preaching the gospel. It was in his prison cell that God began to reveal things to John through visions. If you read through the book of Revelation, much of what you will find written there is a record of visions that God gave to John. Some of the things that God was allowing John to see through visions, even in his prison cell, helped John to understand what God was doing in the world in his day. 
Some of the things that John was able to see, I believe, are things that God is doing in the world in our day. And then there are things that John saw that did not come to pass in his day. They've not yet come to pass in our day. But they will someday. And that's the category of what we find recorded in John 7. Here's what God lets John do in this vision. God lets John peek into heaven. God gives John a view of heaven, a vision of heaven. It's not heaven as it was in his day, nor in ours, and we'll see why. I believe that to be the case. It's heaven as heaven will someday be. And as John looks into heaven and records what he sees, this is what he says. After this I looked, verse 9, Revelation 7, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, can you imagine what it was like to get to peer into heaven? Can you imagine what this did for a man who is in chains for Christ? I believe in this vision. God answers the question of why, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're still here and you're still waiting on heaven. And I believe God answers the question of why your church is here. To better understand all of that, I want us to ask some questions together this morning of this vision of heaven. The first question I would invite you to ask with me is who? As John looks into heaven, who does he see? You ever wonder who will be in heaven? The Bible answers the question. God says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. When we pause very long from the busyness of life to think much about heaven, if you're anything like me, there are some questions that come to mind. I wonder what it'll feel like to be in heaven. I I wonder, I mean, we find all this spectacular imagery described in the Bible uh, of of the streets of gold and of, of the... overwhelming to even comprehend what what does that look like who will be there with me you ever wonder who will be in heaven well John makes it clear as he uses two adjectives to describe this great multitude that you can't even count John says they're from every nation and from all the tribes peoples and languages John makes it clear heaven's inclusive Now, heaven's not inclusive in the sense that everyone's included. That's just not the case. In fact, the Bible makes it clear none of us deserve to go to heaven. Scriptures say we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because God is perfect and holy and heaven is a perfect place, sinful, broken people who have rebelled against God like I have and like you have and like every human being has, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We we, we can't be in heaven apart from some solution to our lostness. 
our spiritual losses. Well, God has provided a solution. Aren't you thankful today for the gospel? Aren't you thankful that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus was come, willing to come and, and, and lay his life down for you, for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world? And the Bible says if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus died for your sin, that he was raised from the dead, if you trust in that, we call that faith. And if you are willing to, to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as your Savior, we call that repentance. And if you are willing to acknowledge him as Lord, because he is, and that's not just a title. That word means the master, the ruler, the one who's in charge, the one who's calling the shots. And the Bible says if you confess Jesus as Lord, which means you're surrendering your life to him and you will follow him, the Bible says you'll be in heaven. And your sin is forgiven. You're adopted in the Father's family. You're saved. But we know that many have heard the simple message of the gospel that I've just shared with you, that Jesus died for your sin, that he was raised on the third day. And if you have faith in him, if you repent and confess him as Lord, you'll be saved. We know many have heard that message and they refuse to believe it's true. They won't be in heaven. And then there are those who have heard that message, they might believe the facts of it. Yeah, it's probably true, but they are unwilling to repent of their sin, unwilling to follow Jesus as Lord. And they won't be in heaven. And then there are those millions, even billions of people who have never heard the gospel. Many who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Of the nearly 12,000 people groups that have been numbered around the world, there are yet 3,000 that remain unengaged with the gospel. What does it mean to be unengaged with the gospel? When the simplest ter of terms, if you, if you were a, a member of one of those groups of people, there's nowhere you could have gone to hear the gospel preached like you're able to come here to Green Street Baptist Church and hear the gospel preach because there's not yet a church among your people. If you were to walk through your city or town or village today and you were a member of that people group, it's very unlikely that you would meet a missionary who has gone out from Green Street Baptist Church or any other Baptist church who's there to share the gospel with you because the missionaries haven't made it to those peoples yet. And that's why the IMB exists. We're about getting the gospel to those who have yet to hear the gospel. And yet, heaven someday will be comprised of a vast multitude of people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, but not yet. Because there are still many places and among many peoples of the world, the gospel hasn't made it. That's why you're here. That's why we're not in heaven yet. That's why the church remains on earth. We have been given a mission. The mission is not yet complete. And until the who are there, we still have work to do here. Well, another question this morning. Where? Well, we're talking about heaven, right? 
Notice John is very specific as he describes where this great multitude is gathered. He says, again, they're from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. And then he says this, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What will that be like? <laughs> to stand in the very presence of God. To see as we've been seen, to know as we've been known. What will it be like to stand in the presence of Jesus, the one who loved you enough to die for you? What will it be like to look him in the face and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Bible speaks of heaven as a kingdom not of this world. It's a house not made with hands. Jesus simply called it my father's house. One of the places Jesus used that language to to refer to heaven, my father's house, was in John 14. Jesus is gathered with his disciples to celebrate uh, a, a feast that the Jews had once a year called the Passover feast. It was something they did uh, to remember what God had done when he set the children of Israel free from their slavery in Egypt and began them on their journey to the promised land. And in remembrance of, of what God had done, God had instituted this, this meal, this feast on this particular occasion, Jesus is gathered with his disciples in what we know as the upper room. We refer to it as the Last Supper because it's the last time he would share a meal with his disciples, and it was the Passover meal. They had gathered in the city of Jerusalem, which was very concerning to the disciples. Because you see, what they knew is that there were people throughout that city who wanted to kill Jesus. And so they're thinking, couldn't we have done this somewhere else? I mean, why did, why did we have to come back here in Jerusalem where they're after you? And they're worried and they're afraid. And noting their fear, Jesus speaks to them. It's recorded in John 14. Here's what he says. He says, don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. And then he says this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to the Father's house and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'll take you to be with me where I am. Noting the fear and the concern, Jesus reminds him, no, it's going to be okay. There's room for you in my Father's house. By the way, thank you, church, for building a house. You said, I didn't know we were in the house building business. Actually, you've built a lot of houses. One of the ministries that we have at the IMB is working among refugees. There are more refugees, displaced peoples in the world today than any point in human history because of the war in Ukraine and that additional uh, impact upon uh, people having flee Ukraine. There are more than 100 million people in the world today who are displaced. One of the places that houses nearly a million, well, actually over a million refugees is the country of Uganda and Sub-Saharan Africa. You have a lot of missionaries serving through the IMB uh, doing work among those refugees, those displaced people, people who are poor, people who are broken, they've uh, traumatized and, and desperate in so many ways. And one of the ministries we have is providing uh, shelters, homes, houses uh, to those who are homeless. Now, when you, you hear me talk about you building houses, don't 
think of what your house might look like. These houses don't look anything like my house. They're very small houses, very small structures. In fact, in their dimensions, uh, maybe just in the, in the length of the house from the pulpit to the second speaker here, uh, maybe as wide as from me to the front of the stage, yeah, about like that, divided into two rooms. They have a tin roof, brick walls, and a dirt floor. There's no plumbing in the house because these houses are built in fields where refugees have just gathered to survive, uh, and there's no, uh, no services like that available. No, no wiring in the house, no electricity, because again, there, there's no power grid out there, but, but it's just a simple shelter for those who, are, those who are homeless and those who need protection. I remember many of the houses we saw as my wife and I were visiting Uganda some time back, but there was one that really sticks out in my memory, not because of the way the structure looked, but it was because of who lived in it. There was a 16-year-old boy that lived in this particular house that I have often recalled, and he didn't live alone. He had four younger brothers and sisters who were living there with him. I remember this house because of who didn't live in it. There was no mother, no father in the house. It's what we call a child-headed household. It's a miracle those kids are in the house. In my estimation, it's a miracle they're even alive. They're not from Uganda. They're from South Sudan. If you know anything about the history of South Sudan, it's a country that has suffered through uh, generation after generation of war and genocide. Millions have been killed, including the parents of these five kids. I have no idea how he managed to do it, but somehow the oldest, the 16-year-old boy, managed to get himself and his four little brothers and sisters out of the community where his parents had been murdered on foot. They walked across the country of South Sudan, crossed an international border into Uganda. They wandered into this refugee camp with nothing. Your missionaries became aware of their needs went out and met with them and immediately got to work getting a house built for them so they had the safety of a shelter. They filled the house with food and their basic needs were met. And then your missionaries told these five orphans about a father who loves them and wants to adopt them. And he's a king. And he's promised for all eternity to meet their every need in his kingdom. And today I want to thank you, church, for loving orphans and refugees you've never met on the other side of the world and sending someone to help them, to make sure they're safe and they have a roof over their head and food to eat, but far more important than that, sending someone to share the hope of the gospel with them so for all eternity they'll know the joy of being with us in the Father's house. Oh, won't it be incredible someday to look around if you're in that great multitude and to see those who are there because God in some way used you and used me. Maybe you shared the gospel with a friend at school, a friend at work, your, your son, your daughter, your grandchild, a stranger. Maybe you prayed for the missionary. Maybe you gave to see that they could do mission work among the lost, among the nations. Maybe you went and served. But don't you want to be able to look around and see someone who's there? Because God used you to share the hope of the gospel with them. Until the who are there, we still have work to do here. Which leads me to another question. How do you get there? 
It's interesting, John used some very symbolic language here as he's uh, remarking about this crowd and what he's seeing. He says there uh, is a great multitude. They're, they're standing before the throne, before the Lamb there in heaven. Then he says this, they're clothed in white robes, clothed in white robes. Don't miss the symbolism of that. Now, do I think we'll literally be clothed in white robes in heaven? Yeah, it's probably, probably the case. It's what John says he saw, but it's very symbolic. The Bible says of human beings that we're stained. In fact, the Scriptures say that we're stained by sin. The Bible says we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. We know the story of Adam and Eve, their rebellion against God and, and the curse that was exacted upon them when sin entered the world. But don't miss that that curse applied in Genesis 3:15 to their offspring. And that's why the Bible says we're born dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and sin. But of course, we know that while the offspring of Adam and Eve, Cain, who was their son, was cursed because of the fall, and, and they were, he, was, he was a son of Adam, we also know that Cain chose to sin himself, did he not? He killed his brother in his jealousy. And it's true for all of us. Maybe born dead in our trespasses and sin, but we choose of our own accord to sin. And so we're stained. This means that heaven's not an option for us. There's no sin in heaven, right? Scriptures say the wages of our sin is death, is to be separated from God forever in hell. So how, how can we have this great multitude there? How can people who are sinful like me and like you be in heaven? That's where these white robes come in. I, I don't wear white very often. In fact, uh, I, I got on the road at 4 a.m. this morning, Pastor. I had a white shirt uh, hanging up in the closet. I almost reached for it. Now I realize, no, I'm going to be drinking coffee for about three and a half hours. And, and there's no way that's going to work out. I'm just not the neatest guy in the world. If I ever have a white shirt on, eventually I'll walk, we'll look down and see you know, evidence of my lunch or or a coffee stain or something. And, and I'm also one of those guys, I mean, this moment of confession, if, if there's a shirt like laying across the foot of my bed or the chair in our bedroom and my wife's not around, uh, I might pick that up and see if it passes the sniff test. And I might think to myself, you know, I could get one more wear out of that before it disappears for months in that laundry basket. And, and so I might try it again. You can't do that with white. I mean, you get to ring around the collar and every little speck, you know, stain shows us. Uh, I tend to stay away from white. Now, how on earth is a guy like me, as messy and broken and sinful, going to be forever in a white robe in heaven? Well, this is where the gospel comes in. We sing about it. You remember what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus cleanses us, and we stay that way. We sing about that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. They're all gone. They don't come back. Thank God for a Savior who loved us enough to pay the price of our sins so we could be in heaven. And yet that, that gospel message that is able to save any has yet to be heard by many. And that's why we're here. 
The IMB is still sending out missionaries. We're sending students for a summer or a semester, a gap year. We're sending young adults just like we're commissioned from your church a week ago on Friday who are going through our journeyman program. They'll spend two years on one of our missionary teams overseas, fully funded by generous churches like yours. We're sending career missionaries. We're sending retirees, lots of them. It doesn't matter what you've been doing in life. We can use it in some way. You've been a doctor, a nurse, maybe a school teacher. Maybe you've been a police officer or an accountant. You've been a farmer. We can use you somewhere around the world as an opportunity to share the gospel. If God has placed the nations on your heart, I'd love to talk with you about it. Which brings me to the last question. So what? So what? Now, it's not the so what my teenage daughter asks, because that's not even a question, frankly. <laughs> that's her way of saying, would you leave me alone? That doesn't have anything to do with me. So what? No, it's this so what. Lord, you've let me see into heaven as heaven will someday be. So what does this mean for me? So what do you want from me? I want to see if I can answer that question with a, a personal illustration. Several years ago, there was a couple of men who showed up in the parking lot of a Baptist church on a weekday evening. It was a church a lot like this in that it was Baptist and it had a parking lot. It was unlike this in the fact that that church and the parking lot could just about fit in this sanctuary just a little Baptist church in a little town in the mountains on the Tennessee-Kentucky line. They came on a weekday evening. It wasn't even Wednesday night, <laughs> but it was visitation night. And so they set out to do what they'd come to do. They began to walk across the neighborhoods in the little town, going door to door, knocking. Somebody answered, simply extending an invitation to church some point that evening, they climbed a very steep hill, made their way up to a little rental house at 210 Province Street, next to the last house on the road. Boy, the road gets so steep, you can't build houses anymore. Stepping up on the porch, they knocked on the door. A young man came to the door. I don't know if they knew about his circumstances. It was a small town. Like I said, they might have known everything about his circumstances. You know how small towns go. Or they might not have known anything. Had they known about him, they'd known he was in his mid-twenties. Just two years past a divorce. And he was raising his three sons on his own. At the time, they would have been ages six, four, and three. I don't know if they knew any of that about him. I know what they could not have known is that the four-year-old somewhere in the house would someday be the president of the International Mission Board. There's just no way they could have known that. But they knew enough because they knew people not in church needed to be in church. And they knew broken families need the Lord. And they knew the greatest need in anybody's life is a personal relationship with Jesus. So when my father came to the door, they invited him to church. And how thankful I am that he accepted their invitation. He took us the next Sunday and the Sunday after that and Sunday after that. 
we found there, well, I think what anybody would find if they walked through those doors here. We found a church family that welcomed us in, that loved us, shared the gospel with us, and looking back on it, helped raise us. A few years later, there's another knock on our door, still living in that little rental house. Dad opened the door, and there stood our pastor, Brother Allen. He was expected. Dad had invited him to come. My older brother had been asking questions about the gospel. And Dad asked our pastor if he would come by and talk with him. He sat in the green chair in the corner of our living room and shared the gospel with my older brother. My younger brother and I, we sat in the floor and we listened in. Brother Allen got three for one that night as we put our trust in Jesus. Baptized together a few weeks later in the baptistry of the little First Baptist Church of Jellicoe, Tennessee. Man, I'm so thankful for a couple men in the church who cared about their neighbors enough to knock on the door and invite them to church. I'm thankful for a pastor like your pastor and your pastors who I'm sure had his own family and a lot to do at the church, but he was willing to come and sit down in our living room and share the gospel with us. How thankful I am for a church that knew why it was there. And I'm thankful to be in a church like that today. You know, you wouldn't have to go far out of the parking lots of Green Street to find a broken family find a lost man or woman, boy or girl, go across this area, you could find hundreds, thousands of them. Go across this country, you can find millions of them. Get on a plane, set your feet down with some of our IMB missionaries around the world, we'll show you billions of them. And that's why we're here. Don't ever forget why you're here. Let me invite you to stand. As we come this morning to a time of commitment, it might be, as you've thought with me about heaven today, you realize that you have no assurance you will ever see that place because you've yet to put your trust in Jesus, yet to turn from your sin, yet confess Him as Lord. But you realize that's the greatest need of your life, and today you are ready. If that's the commitment you're ready to make, then we want to celebrate it with you. And so, uh, Pastor Brandon's going to be standing here at the front as we sing in just a moment. I invite you to come down, just share with him. Hey, Pastor, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Maybe you have questions. What does that mean? What does that take? He can answer those questions. Maybe the Lord's leading you to be a part of a church family that is sharing the gospel near and far. I know Green Street Baptist would love to talk to you about joining this church family and being a part of the mission work here. Maybe God's leading you to the mission fields of the world. Again, I'd like to talk to you about that. However God is dealing with you, it's not my invitation. At the end of the day, the Lord is the one who invites. You respond to Him, but come share it with us as we sing.